this afternoon, we're talking about fearing God, fearing God, and the fear of God, coming from the chapter 41 of uh, Isaiah, starting at the 8th verse. It says, But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, and called thee from the chief men thereof, and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee, and not cast thee away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that are incensed against thee, shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them, and shalt not find them, even them that contended with thee. They that war against thee shall be as nothing, and as a thing of naught. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thine right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, walk thy worm, Jacob, And ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. We see here how many times in those few verses that he said the word fear not. Those are talking to the people that God had chosen, which we know is the church. Those of us that are in the church and in the Old Testament as an example, he was using Israel or Jacob. Jacob had to see himself as essentially lost, as nothing, as insignificant. That's why he called him, O thou worm, Jacob. He maneuvers or works within the dust. We know a worm is in the dirt all the time. He's very lowly or whatever. But the essential to godly character, of forming godly character, is fearing God. Now, there's two types of fear. But the fear here is the beginning of knowledge and understanding. That's the fear of God. There's an ungodly fear. There's a fear of dread, of remorse, of horror, of uh, anxiety, or worry, or whatever. But that's not the fear he's talking here. But we don't want to turn that fear into where sometimes people say, well, the reverence of God. Yeah, it's a reverence of God, but still... We don't want to take the word fear out of there because we know it's a a fear that belongs there and it's a fear that we need to just not make light of that word and add another synonym to it there. Exodus, the 20th chapter, says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you and that his fear may be before your faces that ye sin not. Uh, That was the... uh, King James Version. The Amplified Version says, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of him, that is a... Now the Amplified here used the word reverence, saying a profound reverence of God. Okay, reverence in that respect of fear is a healthy fear or honor of who God is or what he is, but still, if we take the word fear out there, We don't have being scared or being afraid of that 
that, like your parents, you know, my kids, I don't know, I guess I was the hard one, you know, the male, the father, but they dreaded me coming home at 5 o'clock if mother said that I had, they had did something or whatever because there was going to be a punishment for them breaking the laws or breaking the rules or whatever. But as a father, if they have to realize that it was out of love. So if it's a reverential fear, but knowing that there is punishment, a chastisement for breaking of those laws. We'll get into that more in First John if we get there today. Don't be afraid, Moses told them, for God has come in this way to show you his awesome power so that from now on you will be afraid to sin against him. This is the living version. Now, the, the, the scene here, the context is, God comes down upon Mount Sinai and the mountain is shaking and quaking and all of this noise, this awesome feat of power, like in the midst of some awesome storm or whatever, and it really puts a fear, a fright into you. And that when they heard this, they say, let not God speak to us anymore. Let man speak to us. Let Moses speak to us. From, from that moment on, God spoke to the people through man and not himself because we can't come near God uh, of the fear. We can't approach God that way. Uh, God, God he, that's why when he comes to us, uh, send angels or something to us, he always use, usually prefaces it with fear not to take away the hostility that we think is there that something happens from us. Like Samson's parents says, well, they don't want to see the face of God or they shall die. You know, so it's not like the televangelists and the preachers saying now that they can behold Jesus or God or whatever and that's nothing happens. It's they, they bring God down as to a friend or somebody that's on their level or something or whatever. So that's why I said we don't want to take that fear of God away from it. God is so concerned about us fearing him because if we fear him, we will depart from sin. That's what I said. Not just reverence, but a fear of him has us cleansing up our lives, removing sin away from us because we know God is pure and holy and that sin can't stand before his sight. So with that in mind, if we fear God, then we begin to cleanse our lives so that we can come before God, come before the throne of God that we can boldly come before the throne of God. It gives us confidence in God. It gives us confidence as our lives is clear. So fearing God is an essential element of godly character. That's an essential element of godly character, having that proper fear of God. Developing this vital attribute will bring about an abundance of blessing in our lives. If we have a healthy fear of God, We'll, highly be, we'll be highly blessed. Our lives will gain in righteousness and a right walk with God. Our pathways will be much lighter. But it, it brings about that we can't fear man and God, so the fear has to be of God and not man. God doesn't give it us a spirit of fear. So there are natural fears and fears of the world that we have. But godliness drives out those fears. Fear and anxiety over what will happen and what become, could become of things. 
it is important it is an important part of the process of salvation because we must choose to fear God in the face of all the carnal fears before us that we determine that we will fear what God says and if God says he's going to take care of us uh, see that we be not worried or have anxieties about these things we can choose to believe the word of God the promises of God or we can choose to believe the circumstances and have fears and worries and cares and live in a carnal manner. And that leads to our lives not being strengthened. And you remember right here where it says, fear not for I will strengthen you. Well that strengthening as we talked about that silence and waiting up on God he says, I will strengthen thee, I will help thee taking heed to his word, hiding his word in our heart, that strengthens the inner man, the spiritual man. The spirit is what gives life. That That's what gives that tenacity to live, that belief in Jesus Christ and that he's empowering us by his spirit. Luke, the first chapter in the 50th verse says, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. So this fear, we must even teach it to our children. They must see it in us. We must present it to the world, and we must walk in that fear. So seeing the Christians and the fear of God, other people seeing that fear of God, and walking in the fear of God has a strengthening effect to us. So that's why I say it's an essential part of our character that we don't get into a complacency or, or that God in a regular way or haphazardly dismiss God or, or dismiss his word. We must see the awesomeness of what he carries here. A Christian person is upon whom God has shown his mercy. And here Luke also identifies Christians as those who fear God. And we know that there are some people that don't fear anyone. Like, you remember the parable of the unjust judge and I think it was in Luke 18 chapter the second and the fourth verse where he feared not God nor man there are some people that don't have that fear without that fear it is the unconverted has that fear but his followers of the followers of God fear God and that's the fear that we have to develop elsewhere the Bible identifies Christians as those who fear God throughout the Bible uh, in Acts 19 chapter the 31st verse it says then the churches throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit they were multiplied that's the circumspectiveness that we walk in the presence of God and with that fear even the reverential fear, the dreaded fear, the fear of God keeps us and strengthens us. Later, Luke writes and says that Cornelius, the centurion, he was a just man and one who fears God and has a good reputation among all of the nations of the Jews. That's the book of Acts, the 10th chapter. Among all of the nations of the Jews was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Do you remember? 
Cornelius, a man that offered much alms and things, but it's a man that feared God. Fear God. Notice the theme going across throughout this. Cornelius, a Gentile, prepared for baptism, is called one who fears God. Hebrews 5 and 7 describes Jesus' fear of God. Jesus' fear of God. Now we know Jesus was a man. We know Jesus was the Son of God. But listen at this. Hebrews 5, 7. Who in the days of his flesh, while walking as a man, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fears. Why was he heard? Because of his godly fears. Even Jesus, who knew God better than anyone else uh, ever walked the face of the earth, who was God, feared God. That's the example that we have before us. He's our parent. He offered up prayers to God. Note the special attention paid to the fact that God answered his prayers because he feared God. Because he feared God. God is holy. He is different to a level so far above mankind that those who truly know him do not lose that comprehension and that apprehension of, of the awe of him, of the privilege of being in the presence of the of the purely power holy one you know it's just something that you don't get used to is something that gets into you and it's a respect you never lose it's like the son that never loses respect for his father no matter how old the father get no matter how weak and infirm the father is he has that respect for that father Fear plays a large part in a good relationship with God. Fear plays a, a gigantic part in that. In Genesis 3.10, is the first time a form of fear appears in Scripture. And look at, what, look at that. It is in the context of sin, though. Because Adam responds to God, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. While, while all of a sudden he feared God in this way of dread, or was it consciousness? You see, this is a, a fear because of guilt. And see, Jesus Christ removes our guilt. There is no condemnation to those in Jesus Christ. But Adam knew he had did something against God, and he was afraid. See, so we should do things that we would be afraid we keep his commandments and that's why we're able to approach the throne of God boldly and ask a petition that we desire of him. We keep in his commandments and his laws and we walk therein. We don't shy away from those things. Elsewhere, that English word fear, uh, fearful, uh, fearfulness and all that appears some seven, eight hundred times in scriptures or throughout scriptures. We tend to be uncertain about fearing God because we think of fear as a negative characteristic. We think of fear as a negative characteristic. But we feel that we should love him rather than fear him. 
but that's a misunderstanding of what we're talking about, and that's what I'm trying to elucidate here, the understanding of what fear is in that perfect love casted out fear. Perfect love because if Adam knew God really loved him or whatever, even though the consequences of what he did of the dread would know that God still was love, but that perfect love had been interrupted because of his disobedience, his distrust of God. As we study God's word and experience life with him, we become, uh, we come to understand that at the foundation of loving God, godly fear modifies our highly variable faith in God and love for God in significant ways. If we would just see that we come to understand that at the foundation of loving God, that right here, the substance of this faith, you remember faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. What godly fear modifies, in other words, it changes. You know what modifies means? It makes it differently. Uh, the veritability in our faith for the love of God in significant ways, it undergirds or strengthen our faith. It strengthens our insight into his love by practicing that fear. That fear changes that and it makes it pronounced and we can see that it's casting out all of these other things that had been shaped and formed in us through iniquity. The world had shaped us and that's what had given us all of these fears. Fear of death, fear of not having enough to eat, fear of something happening to us, fear of all of these other things. But if we would just trust in God and walk in faith, we'll see that modification taking place in our lives so we could do as Peter. You remember Peter was a different person who boldly stood up to the Pharisees and said, man ought to fear God, uh, obey God rather than man. They noticed the boldness that had taken place in him. All of these forms of fear express a wide range of emotion. Feelings such as dread, distress, dismay, Trouble, terror, horror, alarm, awe, respect, reverence, and admiration may all appear as fear in Scripture. These are different synonyms or different ways of talking about fears or whatever. But the fear that God desires in us is a good, positive, motivating quality, not this negative inference. You remember I said it seems to have a negative connotation or whatever. But fear, if this is our motivation, you remember I told you what motivates you? What motivates us to do certain things? What's the underlying factor there? Is God that underlying factor, the fear of God, is that the motivating factor? You remember, Joseph says, how could I do this sin? How can I do this and sin against God? When Pharaoh's wife was asking him to lie with him, he realized that what motivated it more and more, not just the master, he told him that everything was in his charge and everything and that wasn't nothing that wasn't under his control. 
But the underlying of the motivating factor, God had given him all this, he, was, he would be sinning against God. That was the motivation for him fleeing out of there. This fear is one that we do not naturally possess. We don't naturally possess, and that's why I say it has to be taught. It's a learned fear. It's not the fear that we see in the world. Psalms 34 and 11 says, Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Something that is taught. How do we learn the fear of God? How do we learn that fear? Psalms 33, 8 through 9. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. That's why I say, that's why I, I wanted last week, a couple of weeks ago, I said, let's fasten awe or awesome to only God and only that one could command our fear and our respect. If God is the only one that's awesome, God's the only one that really awes us, then that's where our fear should be attached. Godly fear is one of a deep and abiding respect that grows as we learn from within a continuing intimate relationship of his character, his purpose, and his powers. Once we intimately, and that's why he says to the ones that were doing other things, he says, I never knew you. All of this has to derive from having a relationship with God. Forming a relationship causes this fear. That's why I say it's a learned fear. It's something that we begin to practice. It's something that is taught. The unconverted do not have this relationship as a sustaining presence. And that's why if we practice the presence of God, that he's always with us, that God is always there, he'll never leave us or forsake us, that abiding fear would also be there. It attaches to it. It comes attached. It's appendix to it. Uh, I said fear of God is a learned response. Psalm, the second chapter, 10th through the 11th verse says, Be wise now, therefore, ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Sounds like something out of Philippians with saying fear and trembling work out your own salvation, doesn't it? Uh, the amplified version reads a little bit differently, and it puts the word reverence in there. And like I said, reverence is a word that we can use in there, but it's not a perfect, uh, it doesn't fit to the point where I want to instill fear there. We do reverence and honor God, but we may change something if fear is not. there. Like I said, that snake there. Well, you have a fear of that snake. You might revere it or whatever, but fear is the correct response, right? Being afraid of it. Now, therefore, kings, act wisely, be instructed, and take warning. O leaders, judges, or rulers of the earth, worship the Lord and serve him with reverence, with awe-inspired fear and submissive wonder. Rejoice, yet do so with trembling. Now, like I said, essentially a hundred other places say the same thing, that we must have this fear of God in us. And, and that sticks, that fear of God. That's why I say 
the fear of something. It's like the fear of being, you know, you can tell your children about a fire or whatever, but until they get burnt by that fire, that's what puts it into their mind. That's what sticks it there, that that fire is hot. No matter how many times it's in the Bible, a lot of preachers and teachers nevertheless may persist in believing that in Christianity the fear of God has been replaced by the love of God. That God loves you. He wants to favor you. We bring God into a teddy bear relationship, into a cozy relationship, and we stop mentioning the fear of God. It's a loving relationship. This is Jesus Christ. This is not like the God of the Old Testament, that awesome, dreadful, powerful God that would kill and do all this. This is Jesus Christ, loving and tender Jesus Christ. And we remove fear. That's the problem with the nation. That's the problem now. We've removed fear. We've made God a loving and a forgiving God, a Jesus that forgives everything you do. And you can get off with just about anything God forgives you, and he loves you. Consistently, that was the pagan theme of "Touched by an Angel" or whatever. Always say, "Well, God loves you." This and that shows like that kind of messes you up in a Christian way. Uh, there is no doubt that God wants us to fear Him. Notice that in Psalm thirty-four and eleven, it says that the fear of God is a quality that we must learn, indicating that we don't have this character in us by nature and that's what those shows and people try to say about learning and that's a sickening thing and it's a lot of people that supposedly Christians or whatever and that's what's so sickening about them or whatever these the way that they do these uh, do about this this characteristic or whatever and it's not true it's something that you can pick that up and discern it The fear of God, then, is different from the fears we normally have in life. Thus, it must be learned. And that's what I say. You can repeat what the Bible says. You can repeat what the church or what people are saying or whatever. But if this hasn't been learned through an experiential process in your life, you really don't know how to love or fear. You don't know how to do any of these things because it's something that you've heard of it, not something that you had experienced. It's something that you say a, a think, but it's not a part of what you believe or who you are. It's like Peter saying that he would die for Jesus until that become an actual reality. Peter didn't understand or know what he was saying. He could say that. Fear is a powerful motivator. Just as the Sabbath day is for instructions and we have to learn to fear, learn about fear, I've put some little subtopics here. What's the cause of fear? What's causing our fear? What, what underlines our fear? Why are we so fearful? You remember he asked his disciples, why were they so fearful? There are a lot of people, and we've seen that in Diana, and that's what we're preaching on this this is communion weekend, huh? Yeah, communion this coming Saturday, Sabbath day. But a lot of people was fearing suffering loss, the suffering of loss, a, a bad condition, a, a sacrifice. They was going to lose money by if Diana was worshipped. They was going to lose position. 
Uh, it may be a, loose, a loss of power, a loss of status, a loss of family, a family life, or the things you love. Remember the man that was born blind and Jesus healed him and the parents said, well, he's our son, but you would have to ask him. Well, those parents denied or didn't want to own up to the son because they were afraid of being putting being put out of the synagogue because the Pharisees had said if anyone gave accolades to Jesus and went along with this, they would be thrown out of the synagogue. We noticed in this last political season there were people afraid to speak against certain political entities and there are a lot of people through their worldly prudence or whatever in trying to hold on to things actually deny Christ or deny the character, the essential characteristics that builds you up in godliness. This, I think her name is Cassidy Hutchison or Hutchison or whatever, Key Hutchison, or whatever the young lady name that was testifying at the January 6th uh, hearing the other day that had, have, that had a lot of death threats placed on her or whatever for telling the truth and witnessing what was correct. The same thing happened to Alexandra Vickman or whatever, but sometimes we have to tell the truth. We have to do what's right to help establish the laws of God to bring about the chaos in the world. Sometimes it's going to bring about chaos. It's going to bring about disunion or whatever. God is not the author of that. The reason that confusion lies there is that there's a lie at the base. That foundation has to be destroyed. That foundation that was laid on January 6th, this insurrection, it has to be destroyed. This is what pulled the nation down. We can't build on that foundation. That has to be destroyed. Just like Alexander the Coppersmith and Demetrius and all them, they were building on the wrong foundation, so they feared loss. They feared... uh, Diana, the fertility cult. Uh, I told you her name was Artemis in certain circles. Some circles she was the over virginity or whatever. But whatever the image or whatever the idol or the what they had built up into, that's what this 40th chapter is about. About the vanity of serving idols and graven images and those things that are built up and that we shouldn't be afraid to come out of the world and serving those things that building those things up. We've given power to those things. We, we've helped worship the Queen of Heaven and do, do all these things. We've nailed and fastened these things in our line, and we have to destroy and pull down these things that has these strongholds in our lines. Our normal understanding of fear spans from being a mild apprehension, awareness of anxiety, to all the way to outright bowel-moving terror. A lot of people have so many anxieties and breaking downs to where probably they were saying they was going to offer counsel and advice to those families and people that was at this 4th of July parade or whatever where this guy shot in the crowd and killed all these people. There'll be a people that'll be afraid to go back in crowded places. There'll be people that are afraid to venture out because these are perilous times we live in. Just going to the supermarket, you can lose your life. Driving along the highway, uh, road rage can destroy your lives. With social media and all the things we have now, 
people can just say anything and disrupt your whole lives or whatever. So there are many fears out there. And as as an extreme, it creates the fight-or-flight response. There was one man that was interviewing the other day, and my wife sometimes think I'd be getting too much of a thing out of it, where now one of the responses to people tell you when these things go on is hide, run, or fight. Run, hide, or fight. Do one of the three. Run, hide, or fight. We shouldn't be living, but that those are the things that Satan introduced into this world. Those are the fears and the apprehensions and the anxieties and the stressful things that Satan added to these world to this world. And we shouldn't live in these fears. That's why fears will multiply. Fear, and that's why I say we have to tear down these walls of what we fear. Uh, you wouldn't be able to do anything or go anywhere. Why then does a loving God want us to fear Him then, if, if that's the way? Would He not rather want us to snuggle up to Him with no thought of fear? But that's what happens when we lose the fear of what's right and who's, the, who's over what's right. We have sin and people excusing sin and doing things thinking that they can endure the consequences of sin or it's okay with God that we can do these things once you look at God in that faucet that God is a God that punishes sin and that we should fear that God many people have that conception but it's a mistaken one that we can just cuddle up to God it's like asking the lion you know people fear a lion and that this the witch the wardrobe uh, that uh, C.S. Lewis uh, novel they had but anyhow that, let me not go down another beaten trail here we must not forget that God is not a man he is God God is not a man God is not like anything like I said what can you compare God to what can you liken God to so we have to base everything upon his word on his word. That's that's where we get our life from. He reminds us in Isaiah fifty five, eight through nine, that he does not think like a man. His thoughts are no ways like a man. Yes, he wants us to love him, but even in that love the sense of fear should always be present. I'm still pointing toward first John. I may not get there, but first John it kind of doubles up on this and it kinda of has to be spread out. Recall that in Psalm 2 and 11 commands, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Like I said, it echoes fear and trembling where you got your own salvation from the book of Philippians. To a, to a Christian, fearing and rejoicing seem to be an odd couple. How can I fear and rejoice? But that's a paradoxical statement. It, should, it, it is to an unbeliever, but if we unwrap it, we start understanding God, we can see why we would we rejoice because He's a God of love and that fear exacerbates that love. Okay? Paul writes in Philippians 2.12 to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because you don't want to do the wrong thing. We don't want to be in pens and these that we could do the wrong thing, but we are to know that we are mortal, that we are carnal, that we are that worm Jacob. So we have to 
think about doing You remember I told you it's a choice? It's a choice of who we listen to. Sometimes we have to mortify this old body. We can't do what we want to do. So we have to learn to do the right thing because with wrong choices come wrong consequences. In the book of Ecclesiastes about enjoy that youth and do all these things, but no, you're going to have to pay for these things that you do. There's a, there's a cost to all these things. Ordinarily, we associate trembling with fear of being, uh, of being frightened. What is there to fear and tremble about is taking salvation to its conclusion. Deuteronomy 6, 4-5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Well, within a Christian setting, we are much more comfortable with this command to love, yet notice the two verses prior to that. Verses 1 and 2. Now this commandment, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes. Now see, that's the instruction that we're lacking because people want to do away with the commandments and the statutes. It says that you would observe as you're crossing over to possess this land, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your sons and your grandsons, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. So it has something to do with the commandments and statutes, right? These things has a precept involved. There's something, a greater principle Immediately preceding the following and following his commandment in verse 5 to love him, he also affirms that we are to fear him, verses 2 and 13. The sense of verses 1 and 2 is that this fear is produced as we keep his commandments and not before. That's why I say learning of God intimately of this structure as we keep his commandments this, that's when this fear is produced and not you, you don't you don't realize this till you become a doer of this not before so so don't I don't want to put the cart before the the horse before the cart but we have to see before and not after clearly fear of him and love for him cannot be separated from our relationship with him the two, uh, the, the dichotomy of the two cannot be separated. Okay? They're conjoined. Okay? They're conjoined together. Isaiah 8.13 adds another aspect to this. It says, The Lord of hosts, him you shall hollow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. If that's what we have the fear that's what we have the dread. Just think, if we're walking in Him, there's nothing that 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 our conscience doesn't ha- doesn't have that dread because 
He's our fear and he's our dread. And if we're keeping his commandments, we know that he loves us and there's no distance that he wouldn't go to. If he gave his son, if he's written his laws within us, if he's our fear and dread, there's nothing to fear and dread but him. That's where the rejoicing comes from. That's the rejoicing. Now surely we might think that someone as close to God as Isaiah did not need to fear him. But here God commands him to fear him. Because when a preacher, when an individual gets to where I'm thinking I'm so close that I can do this, I can get off with this or whatever. That's the problem with spouses when they think, well, I'm his wife, I can do this. Uh, a child get to where I'm the favorite child, uh, you know, I can get off. When a person, and that's what happens with politicians when we let them off things. People said, we, I, I, one of the editorial writers, I don't know if it was George Will, uh, Dana Milbank, or who it was that was saying the other day, we don't want to set a bad president, a president of going after the former president, but it may be a bad president to not go after him. See, because there's a danger in these things. And with the Word of God, there is, this is clear with the Word of God, but not so much in the secular world because it's a fallen world. There are no tangibles. Everything is intangible, let's say that. Why? Because the fear gained within the relationship with God always motivates the movement in right, godly direction regardless of the intensity of life's circumstances. If that's the motivation, if the motivation, listen at this again, because the fear gained within the relationship with God always motivates movement in the right direction. That's why I say it's, it's, it's a godly fear. What's the motivation? It's in a godly direction regardless of the intensity of the circumstances. Whereas in the natural world, in the natural ways, those things end up in destruction. The fear of man, the fear of these graven images, all of these things that we empower, that, that's a loss. Because you'll find out that that's the man that we were scared of, that's the individual, that's the woman that we gave all our love to and went against and sold out for the world and that's the guy that I gave away all this you know you'll see that they were just mere men they were just mere women they were just mere things or obstacles of cars and material things nothing is worth it that's why you have to fear God that's the only thing that's worth fearing the only one that's worth fearing okay I then made it to 1 John 4.17 I didn't make it to first John. I kept talking about it. I made it here. Let me go slow here. Now, does it not contradict the assertion that our relationship with God should contain godly fear? That's John 4, 17 through 18. I wrote it. I got four different versions of it. King James, the American Standard, the Amplified, and the Living. But let's go over the living here. Well, King James, for hearing is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, 
Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casted out fear. Because perfect fear, because fear had torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Okay, the Amplified, it breaks the union down in this way. It says, in this union and fellowship with God, love is completed and perfected with us. In this union with God, love is completed and perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment with assuredness and boldness to face him because as he is, so are we in this world. He has shaped us and formed us in his image if we follow his commandments that we, we can boldly go before the throne of grace because there's nothing wrong with us because through the things, uh, circumstances we have experienced, he, Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith has presented us through the preaching like Paul and the rest of the apostles, through the washing of his word, it presents us to God without a spot of blemish so we can go boldly before the throne of grace. We can stand before God as a chaste virgin. We have been, we have been clean. We are bride of, that's been presented without, without idolatry, without any other loves, with a pure heart, with the love of God and a fear and reverence for the one that we are to marry. There's no fear. Okay, uh, here's the rest of that version amplified. There's no fear in love. Dread does not exist because, but fear, but but perfect, complete, full-grown love drives out fear because fear involves the expectation of divine punishment. So the one who is afraid of God's judgment is not perfected in love, has not grown into a sufficient understanding of God's love. It's like the parent that you're running away from, the chastisement, not trusting that that parent is doing that because he loves you, just like Jesus was obedient to the death of the cross, and he took that death. He allowed men to murder him and put him to death in fearing God who was able to save him. That was made perfect in love. That was no dread in that because he knew the one that really loved him had the best intentions for him. Our parents has the, should have the best intentions for us. So no matter what our parents are doing to us, there should not be no fear of dread of the punishment of the chastisement that the parent is bringing because it only makes you perfect in a union and one in love with that parent. Yes. So there's no fear in that. Perfect love casted out the fear of dread. You understand? Because the fear, or we can say reverential fear here, of the fear of the awesomeness means that without a doubt, this is the only thing that we can follow because this is the only way we can make, be made perfect in love. Now, living says, as we live with Christ, our love grows more perfect and complete. So we will not be ashamed and embarrassed at the day of judgment, but can face him with confidence and joy because he loves us and we love him too. We need have no fear of someone who loves us perfectly. 
his perfect love for us eliminates all dread of what he might do to us. If we are afraid, it is for fear of what he might do to us and shows that we are not fully convinced that he really loves us. So the conviction wouldn't be there. The conviction is not there. Finally got to that verse in chapter where we can see where perfect love casted out this fear, but there's no dread in it because of the factor that this is God and this is God's work. But it was a process that brought us to that point that worked in us, that sanctified us. That's why he says it's to strengthen you. His word, his instruction strengthens you, but it, it's in keeping the commandments. It's, it's in keeping those statutes and judgments. It's before, not 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 before, but after. After you keep, you'll see. In other words, as the old people say, we'll understand it better by and by. Now, this passage does not contradict in the in the least. Once we understand the kind of fear the apostle John is writing about. The clue to this fear appears in verse 17 in the term boldness. In the term boldness. John is referring to being bold in spite of the circumstances we face from life in this world once we are converted. You remember I told you the boldness that Peter had that man ought to obey God rather than man. That boldness that comes. You remember I said he was going to strengthen that worm Jacob. In other words, you're going to be able to stand up to the things in this world because it surrounds those verses about all those that contend against you shall be ashamed, that's confounded. So you're not going to be afraid of peer pressure anymore. You're not going to be afraid of what other people think. You're not afraid of what your family or what anyone else say. Your consecration is to God. So that's where you'll wherein your boldness that where did he get this boldness from? Because he's dedicated to God. God is strengthening in him. That's why Peter were able to go to the cross. That's why they were able to die because he says, Fear not him that can destroy the body and kill the body, but fear him that can destroy the whole body and soul in him. You see, so the reversal of this way of this physical life of the things in this life, in other words, your thought pattern. It has changed because if you're becoming spiritual, which Christ is, he's making us in his image and his likeness. In other words, he's making us a spiritual man because in the first six days he made us physical man, 666. But in that Sabbath day, the day of rest, the day of creation, he's making us spiritual in his image and his likeness, like the second man. So that's where we're pulling off the old man, that physical man, and putting on the new man in his image and his likeness, which is spiritual. Okay. The love of God works in us to dispel the fear of disease, oppressions, persecutions, death, but it does not drive out the fear of God. <clears throat> I was talking to Mr. Parker the other day. As I stopped, he was doing some work on the road, me and him stopped and talked a while. But some of the teaching that he's under and had, I was telling him, we understand God better now that we're not teaching unsound doctrine because just because you have a disease or something happens to you 
doesn't mean God is not with you. It's just that you know God's going to go through that with you, that God's with you during the persecution, that blessed are you that are persecuted. It doesn't say you won't get persecuted. Remember I said the lady that testified the other day, wasn't that she didn't get persecuted for it. That persecution's going to come. That it may be job losses come. It's going to be sacrifice. That's why I say we can't be afraid of loss. If we're afraid of the things lost, that's the problem. We're not fearing God. We're fearing other things other than God. These images, these idolatrous things has power in our lives. When Job didn't fear the cattle he lost, he didn't worry about that. He didn't even, he said, hurt him to lose his children. But all of that was neither here nor there. He says, for God he lived and for God he died. That the Lord give it them. So these things wasn't the paramount thing in his life. The paramount thing was, was he right before God? Now if it did, John would be contradicting what the Bible says, says elsewhere about the necessity of continuing to fear God. If this was contradicting the perfect love drive it out all fear it would be contradicting all of these in the Bible fear the Lord and fear him only so we're not talking about the same fear of fear in the same context the perfect love that drive it out all fear is fear of those things in this life that may overcome us that may have us destitute fear of the circumstances of life it's not the fear of God that it cast out. Perfect love casts out fear, but not the fear of God. That's something that we're learning. That's something we're putting that in. That's something that helped cast out these other fears. That cast out, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, you believe in me also. See that you be not worried about the lilies of the field, all these things and what you have need of. It casts it out. People worry about the stock market. And one analyst last three or four weeks ago was talking about it'd be 23 before the price of gas go down. No, it ain't. Gas going down now. I think I paid 419 a gallon for it today somewhere. So, you know, you can't worry about what people are saying. I mean, it's going to be five, six dollars But you can't base your life on what people say and on things. That shouldn't drive you. That's why Demetrius the confidence. Oh, we, everything will be lost if we allow this to happen to the great Diana, God Diana. The people are burning their books and the things because people hate to see you being strengthened in the Lord and they still with their faith. They're going to try to pull the world down up on you. They're going to try to keep you bound now. Uh, Christianity has not replaced the fear of God with the love of God as many wrongly believe. Instead, the two work hand in hand. The fear of God and the love of God work hand in hand. Neither one's replaced the other. It's wrong teaching. Now, I have a little bit more teaching on that uh, 